There is a history of Herod the Great uh, killing the kids in Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. John the Baptist, his head was uh, removed from his body by King Herod. And then we've just read, last week we read about uh, the Apostle James, the son, I mean the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. He's beheaded by Herod Agrippa. And now Peter's in jail. And he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna have the same fate. His head's going to be removed uh, the next morning. And so that's where we are in this clash of kings in Acts chapter 12, verse 5 through 12. All the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church prayed for him most strenuously. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod was taking no chances. Suddenly there was an angel at his side and light flooding the room. The angel shook Peter and got him up. Hurry! The handcuffs fell off of his wrists. The angel said, get dressed, put on your shoes. Peter did it. Then, grab your coat, let's get out of here. Peter followed him, but did not believe it was really an angel. He thought he was dreaming. Past the first guard, then the second. I've just lost my place. Let me back up. They came to the iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own, and they were out on the street, free as the breeze. At the first intersection, the angel left him, going his own way. That's when Peter realized it was no dream. I can't believe it. This really happened. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle the Jewish mob was looking forward to. Still shaking his head amazed, he went to Mary's house, the Mary who was John Mark's mother. Please notice that Herod's intent was to execute Peter just like James. It's during Passover. It's the same season where Jews from around the Mediterranean basin would come on one of the pilgrimages to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is swelling with people. It's the same time that Jesus was arrested, the same time that Jesus was executed. It's that same season that Herod is trying to win brownie points with the Jewish hardliners. And the way to do that is they're going to deal with these Jews that are following Jesus, these Jews that now belong to to the king, Jesus. And and did you notice that Peter, the night before his execution, he's chained to two guards in a cell while two others are outside of the cell guarding the door. And did you notice that he's sleeping like a baby? Now think about that for a moment. Scheduled to lose his head in the morning, Four soldiers guarding him the night before, sleeping like a baby. We'll come back to that. While Peter is sleeping, there is a church that's praying. Interesting. (laughs) His family in the faith had gathered at the home of John Mark's mother 
and they are fervently praying for Peter's release. Oh, God, we just lost James. Oh, God, we can't bear to lose Peter. Oh, God, intervene. That's the kind of prayers. And then they're praying all through the night. They're fervent in praying for Peter in spite of the loss of James. And did you notice that an angel shows up? And you have got to see the humor in this. You know, this is a real serious... I mean, it, I mean I'm not making... It's not, let's not make light of somebody about to lose their head. Let's not make light of somebody being in jail, chained to people. That's, that's not funny, but it's just comical that an angel shows up. Peter, get up. And you just get this image of Peter having a hard time waking up. Peter, get up. Hurry, Peter. And then just didn't notice, Peter, Peter, get dressed. Peter, get your shoes on. Can you just see Peter just kind of, just kind of stumbling around? Peter, grab, Peter, grab your coat. I mean, we're going out. Peter, let's go. And you've got to smile your way through that because it's comical. Peter is having a hard time of believing that this is really happening. Peter did not believe that there was an angel in the jail cell with him. Peter did not believe that the handcuffs just fell off of him. All the while, Peter is thinking, this is a dream. This is a really cool dream. This is so great. This can't be an angel. There's no way. It's too good to be true. I can't believe it. He finally says, after he goes out of his prison cell, through the doors, out onto the street, and finally the cool air kind of revives him, and he says, it, this, this really has happened. And so his unbelief in the unbelievable switches to him, shaking his head and just saying, amazing, this is amazing. So that brings me back to you, what do you do? When you're chained to two royal guards in a maximum security cell and an angel wakes you up in the middle of the night. What do you do with that? See, the likelihood of me looking around the room, the likelihood of you and I ever having this experience is slim to none. And so because it's so far-fetched in the realm of experience, I think that we're tempted to write it off of, well, that's a, I mean, I'm really glad that that happened, and I'm really glad that Peter's life was saved, but... There's not really anything here for me. And that's not true. And so what I want us to do is stop and just learn some things together as a community that we can live out from this miraculous event in the life of the church. Number one, we all face death. I mean, death uh, is something that we don't like talking about. But death is a reality. My dad, uh, you all have faithfully prayed for him, is 86. He just had an open heart surgery. Uh, he had a valve replaced, and he had just this area in his heart that was producing blood clots repaired, and now he's recovering. Now, what brought him to that point is he was looking death 
right in the face. 86, the doctor said you have a really serious heart issue. Uh, it's either we, we either have to repair it or you can check yourself in at hospice because your time has come to pass. And he just said, well, I, I, I get that. I get that I'm going to die, but I'm not quite ready to die. And so open heart surgery is not what I really, that's really not, I really wasn't looking forward to that, but that's what needs to be done, so be it. So he's the guy closest to me right now that's really looked death right in the face and said, okay, I see you coming, but I'm not going to fear you. I'm not, I'm not quite ready. I'd like 10 more years to contribute to humanity. But all of us, whether we're 86 or younger, death is a reality. It's a reality. It, it comes out of the fall of humanity. Death entered our world. And we're still in this age where people die. And it makes us uncomfortable, makes us sad, and we grieve, and sometimes we avoid it. But did you notice Peter, on the night before his execution, is sleeping like a baby, chained to two soldiers who probably snored, with two others outside, and he's sleeping like a baby. Now, how in the world... Can you be in that situation and sleep like a baby? I, 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 I've never been there. But my guess would be this, that he trusted in the reality of the resurrection of the dead that having seen Jesus die and having seen Jesus raised from the dead, he knew that, sure, you can cut my head off, but you can't really kill me. Because when you cut my head off, I'm still going to get a new body that will have the head intact. So be it. If this is my end, this is my end, but it's not my end. He believed that he would be resurrected from the dead. And so it did not threaten him to be executed. The other thing is he would trust in a God that could intervene. I don't, I mean, I've got a whole night. I might as well rest. I don't know what God can do. So he had this trust. So it really, are, are we a community that really trusts that as we face death, that we really know that there is a God that's going to resurrect. And when he resurrects, there's going to be something new and better out of that resurrection. And we could talk about that with literal death. I had a friend this week that died. He died with faith in Jesus. It's not his end. He's now with the Lord. And the day will come when his his cancer-ridden body will be raised and it won't have cancer anymore. It'll be new, brand new. Do we really believe with death that we are people of hope? That when we die, literally die, there's, there's hope. It's not the end. Do we truly believe that? But then I think you can come away from that and we can talk about other things. I, I have lots of friends that are just grieving the loss of things in our culture right, right now. They just, they just, just kind of like fear like the death of our nation because of social upheaval. 
and they're, they're really sad, and they're, they're really mad, and they're really grieving. But I've got to come back and say, but even so, is there not a God that allows us to face death, whether it's literal or whether it's cultural? And we know and we trust that those things that are eternal in our culture will never die. The temporal things will, that's good. But anything eternal, God's not going to let that be destroyed. Can't we face that death like Peter? Resting, trusting. Are we a community that can rest and trust in Jesus as we look death right in the face? Another thing is, will we be a community that expresses our trust in Jesus realistically? You see, what I learned from Peter is that when Peter is saying things like this, I don't believe this is happening. This can't be true. You can't be an angel. Surely I'm not being set free from prison. That's real. I mean, our faith is so unbelievable, there are times we can't believe it. And we ought to be able to say, this can't be so. This can't be happening. This is too good to be true. You can't. We ought to be able to say that because that's real. And what's really fun, next week we're going to discover that when Peter gets to the door of John Mark's mother and he's knocking on the door and there's this announcement, hey, it's Peter. The people that have been praying all night for them say, it can't be. (laughs) That's real faith. When we, it's real faith is when we don't really believe, but it's happening. And we can be, we, we're able to say, I, no. And it just reminded me of the times that sometimes we just don't, we don't let each other express the doubt and the unbelief of that which is unbelievable. And therefore, when we can't do that, I think that our faith becomes something kind of plastic, something kind of hollow. It becomes these slogans, and it's not connected with reality. Folks, this is Peter saying, I don't believe this is happening when it's happening. And that's, that's the experience of a real faith. That's the kind of community I want us to be. People that are experiencing the unbelievably great things of God, and at the time it's happening, we're just shaking our head. This can't be so. Until we kind of hit that fresh air of something, that reality, we say, oh, but it really, this is so amazing. Sometimes I don't think we realize how amazing it is what we have. And it's because we don't ever stop to think, wow, this is so unbelievably great. Another thing is will we welcome rescue on Jesus' terms? See, for Peter, and it seems most that we read about it in the Bible, one of the terms of Jesus' rescue is always the last minute. I mean, well, hey, Jesus, if, you, I mean, if you're going to get me out of prison the night before my death, why didn't you, like, do that a week before? 
Or maybe, Jesus, why didn't you do that like I didn't ever have to go to prison? I didn't have to face this. So sometimes we try to, we try to bargain with Jesus. Well, if you're going to rescue me, I'd like you to kind of do it on my terms, not your terms. Another term is that sometimes we get ourselves in trouble and then we think we should rescue ourselves. And so Jesus comes, I'm, okay, you're in trouble, I'm going to rescue you. He says, oh, no, 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 it's my mess, I've got to clean it up. It's, I mean, I think Jesus says, you're nuts. You're going to do what? I mean, did you forget who I am? A lot of times, uh, I, I listen to people that have really racked up too much debt. And that's a real easy thing to do in our culture. And, it, and because we've racked up a lot of debt, we just think, oh, well, it's my responsibility to get out of debt. You don't think that Jesus wants to rescue us on his terms? That he doesn't want to help us when we make mistakes? What? Come on. Come on. Jesus wants to rescue us on his own terms. The timing of it and the fact that we never deserve his rescue. That's, it's not the basis of rescue, whether we're deserving or not. It's because he's the rescuer. It's who he is. He loves to rescue us when we're in trouble. And then do we really believe in the power of fervent prayers? There is no, no way that we can wiggle out of. There are people that have gathered in distress in Jerusalem, in a home, praying for Peter's release. Now those people are also at the same time grieving the loss of James. So they're grieving the loss of James who's been beheaded, and they're, they're petitioning God to save Peter. So they've already experienced tremendous loss, but at the same time, they're asking God to save Peter. You get that? And even when Peter shows up, they don't even believe Peter showed up. So fervent prayer may be a little bit different. Maybe it's just honest prayer. And maybe it's, it's a people, it's a community of people that can say, Oh God, we, we've suffered tremendous loss, but we're not going to stop trusting you. We have some doubts. We haven't figured it out. But oh God, we're gonna, that's going to propel us. We have a similar situation. We're just going to keep praying and praying, inviting you to intervene. We really need you, God. If you don't do it, Peter's going to be lost too. Help us, Lord. Now, in our community... Uh, this week, I, I know of two people that are really in need of fervent prayer from us as a community. One is Inga. Inga had uh, a gland removed. And now Inga, that was successful surgery, but now she's having to wait, is it malignant or not? Well, that's no fun, is it? And so she needs a community of people fervently praying for her. I know her community group is doing that. But it's, it should be bigger than a community group. It should be all of us fervently praying. Oh, God, intervene. Oh, God, oversee. Oh, God, set that right. Oh, God, deal with that malignancy. Really praying for a healing. Another person is Ron. Ron went to the hospital this week. They still haven't figured out. He's been a little bit off. Of course, he's been off all his life. But he's been just off for the past year. And they still haven't figured out what in the world is going on with him. He needs our fervent prayer. Now, I'm asking you to pray for Inga, and I'm asking you to pray for Ron, who are having serious medical issues. At the same time, a friend of mine died this week. So this is my question. Because my friend died this week, after a year 
of people earnestly, fervently praying for him in his fight with cancer. Now that that didn't, that didn't seem to work, he died. Should I stop praying for these other people? That are, no. No, we, we're, we're a community that accepts both. Not everybody we pray for is healed. No, but that doesn't mean we should stop praying for people to be healed or delivered or whatever way you want to say it. We're, we're a both and kind of community. And so, again, this realistic faith that, that we're going to trust you in spite of the loss and the grief, we're going to trust you with the next opportunity to invite you to intervene. My guess, my gut tells me we're going to, in many ways, have what seems to be more loss than success. But faith doesn't give up. Fervent prayer does not give up in spite of what it looks like. So I, I know that all of us, there are people that we, we, need to, we want to fervently pray for. And sometimes in our heart, we just know, you know, I'm really, really, really concerned about Ron. And so would I just like call people over to my house and say, you know, we're going to just, we're going to spend as long as it takes just praying for Ron. So what I want to just encourage us in our community, when we get concerned about one another, that we just invite each other over to our house and let's just pray. And if we have to, if we end up praying through the night, so be it. That's, that's what we're reading about. So let's live it. Let's do it. Let's not just read about it. Let's do it. Let's be a community that truly believes in the power of fervent prayer and continue to believe in that even when it seems like it's not working. Make sense? Would you like to stand with me? I want to ask you to do a couple of things. One... If, if it helps you to concentrate, close your eyes. If it doesn't, just stare off someplace else. But I want you to do this. Death has touched all of us in one way or the other. I want you to look death right in the face. That's what Peter was doing. The night before his execution, he's looking death right in the face. I mean, the, in, when the morning light comes up, if Herod has his way, he's going to remove my head. I'm going to die. I want you to look at face, at that death, just straight in the face. And that may stir up sorrow. It may stir up grief. We've all lost people that we really love, been close to us. But in those losses, in that death, can we rest? Can we rest because we believe in what Jesus told us? I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. If you believe in me, you will never die. Do we truly believe? When we're looking death right in the face, do we truly believe that death for us is the beginning of something better? Do we believe that? Then let me ask you this. Has it ever been hard for you to believe? Have you ever been reading 
through the Bible or been experiencing life with Jesus that you came to a place that you just said, I, I don't believe, that. I just can't believe this is true. Have you ever been overwhelmed by how amazing following Jesus really is? And how we can't really contain it. It's so much bigger than what we are. And are you free? Are you really free to say, wow, I'm, I'm scratching my head, I'm shaking my head. This is just so far beyond what I could ever believe. That's realistic faith. That's real. How many of us are in need of rescue? How many of us need Jesus to rescue them? But you know, do we as a community believe that Jesus really wants to rescue us on his terms? That he really wants, I mean, if it means he's going to send an angel to wake us up and lead us out, and all the while we're saying this can't be happening. Will we, will we let him rescue us on our own terms, on his terms, not our own? And then with that in mind, do we really believe in a community that fervently prays for Jesus to intervene? Now here's the riskier thing. Those of you that are in need of rescue... Would you allow people to pray for you today? Would you allow yourself to be put out there and say, you know, just invite Jesus to come to my rescue. If you're bold enough to do that, then I just invite you to come stand up here and let people come gather around you and pray for you. What do I got, Sally's a little short. What do I got to lose? <laughs> Okay, got Jerry and Sally. Good morning. Thank you for being bold. And spread out just a little bit because we're going to put people around you. So the other part of being bold is for us. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know if Jesus could really kind of work through me to pray for people. Again, it's okay to have those doubts. So if you believe that Jesus can work through you to pray for people, for him to rescue them, you're not, that you're not going to rescue, but you could invite him to do it. I'd love for two or three people to gather around each person that's standing here. And let's pray for them. Okay, now, this is what I, this is, sometimes when we're in need of rescue, we have a lot that we want to say. I just want those of you that are in need of rescue just to say very shortly what you need to say. I need Jesus to rescue me from, and that's it. You don't have to tell the whole story. And then let the other people pray for you, okay? Okay, go. Okay.